So this morning, I want us to deal with religion or following Jesus and all of the things that we we implement. I know we get caught up in all the different theologies and all the different beliefs and denominations and all the... But really, the Christian walk is, is pretty simple. It's not complicated. It's not hard. We create places that make it hard. We create avenues that, that make it even more narrow than what it really is. So this morning, I hope to be able to, to help you as we go into this new year, because I'm going to give you the catalyst for this next year. The catalyst for everything that we're going to do and, and will continue to do. This will never change. We may add a piece here and there, but this will never change at all seasons. This will always be what has been and what will be that makes us who we are. So I want to ask you as a question, what is the worst thing you can do as a sin? What is the worst sin that you can think of doing? Just think, what's the worst thing that if you did it, you'd be like, Lord, I know I'm going to hell. I know I'm going to hell. I'm going to bust it wide open. What is the worst thing that you could possibly do that you would say, I don't even want to walk in the church anymore? Well, let me ask it in, in a different way. What is the highest requirement? What is the highest thing that God has said, this is the weightiest, biggest, most important thing that can possibly be done? You can ask it in two different ways. And so God answers this question for us. And I, I, I want to, uh, this morning, unpack this. Because as we understand this concept of loving, this mindset of loving, what is this loving? What does loving look like? I know we're going to get to the point where the Bible says God is love. In fact, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark, the 12th chapter, and let me read a few verses. We'll come back to them later, but let me use this as our catalyst this morning because there is a man, a scribe, and a scribe is someone in Jesus' time who is a astute student of the law. He is, he is basically someone who has given his entire life to do nothing but learn. In fact, they were the ones who would recopy the word and, and would retranslate it and re-put it back. And whenever they rewrote a copy, it had to be measured right. It had to be, the letters had to be. They were so precise. In fact, that's what eventually the Israelites would be called, the people of the book. Because the book became so powerful, it became so mighty. And these scribes not only were over the book, but they also had gone even further and, and became the people who added traditions. In fact, it's kind of when you watch uh, the History Channel or you watch some other show and all of a sudden they bring on Professor So-and-so. And he's a, a, a theological uh, a professor at the University of Duke, and, and you hear of this, and they bring him on, and he, he says, well, now here's what the Word of God is trying to say. Here is what we're, and he's giving you not only the Scripture, but he's giving you the in-depth meaning. He's giving you in-depth knowledge. He's even giving you insight that he himself has gained. The scribes had done this, and it, by the time Jesus came along, the traditions that the scribes had created were more powerful than the laws. They'd come up with so many new angles and so many things you couldn't do and so many ways to describe what work was. And But in all of their knowledge, in all of their learning, there's still a problem. What's the worst thing or the best thing that I can do. In all of your knowledge, no matter how many preachers you see sit around, no matter how many professors you see sit around, the conversation will always be the same. 
What do I need to be doing? And so this scribe comes to Jesus after the Pharisees and the Herodians had attacked him on taxes. After the others had come and attacked him on different issues. And this scribe, not a group of them, but this one scribe, notices how Jesus handles all of the conflict and all of the questions and he's amazed at how he answers and how he unwraps the word. I mean, he is basically looking at someone who does his job and he's saying, you do it better than me. It takes a lot of humility to walk up to someone and say, you know, I do this job too, but I don't do it nearly as good as you do it. Let me ask you a question about what I do, and you give me the answer. And so this scribe, as you break in, and I know I've given you some detail, I could give you a lot more, but let's just go into verse 28, and let's begin. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, what's the word? Greater than, there is no suit that you can buy. There is no building you will ever build. There is no song you will ever sing. There is no instrument you will ever play. There is no sermon you will ever preach. There is nothing that you will ever do that will surpass this. So the greatest sin is also wrapped up in the greatest commandment. It's all wrapped up within this one understanding that this one man who has spent his entire life doing nothing but studying the word, studying the book, and 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 yet he has reached a point to where he says, I can quote it, I know it, I, I, I write it, I can do everything, but there's something about it that I'm missing that I don't understand. Explain to me what is the greatest of these. Now, I've got to unpack this because the process of love, which is what we've entitled this sermon, the process of love is not something you just arrive at. We say, I love the Lord, do you? Well, let's walk through the process and let's see the depth. Is that okay? Look at the person beside you and say, let's see the depth. Well, I came to church. Woohoo. Go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, and we need to look at the Shema. The Shema is the most important part of the early writings of Jewish history. The Shema is where God is lining out what it is that separates and makes this people different from all other people in the world. And so here's what is said, beginning at verse 1. These are the commandments and decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commandments that I give you. And so that you may what? Enjoy a long life. So God says, listen, I am a good God. I am a God who loves you and has brought you to this place, but I am fixing to share with you the process by which we will walk further. 
That's why we are so messed up in our Christian belief or theology and lifestyle in America. Because we believe in grace. We believe that God loved us. And he gave his son to die for us. But that is the depth of our understanding of the love of God. So we celebrate Easter and we celebrate Christmas or we're like Ricky Bobby and we just say, you know, baby Jesus and, and, and pray to baby Jesus or whatever it is our theology is. And, and, and we're all mixed up because we can understand grace that God loved us and brought us out by his own power and by his own ability. In fact, we brag on that, that I'm not saved by anything I do. It's the grace of God. I'm saved by grace. I'm, it's his work that I can't boast. It's all God. And that's all true. Israel understood this too. They understood that we couldn't have got out of Egypt. We couldn't cross a Red Sea. We couldn't have got ourselves here. We couldn't have put ourselves where we are. We couldn't make a fire and a, and a cloud to protect us by day and night. We couldn't do all of that. God, by his grace and love, did this. But that love reaches a point to where he says, now we need to connect in love. I need you to love me. Well, let's see how the process works then. Go back with me. Hear, O Israel. And this is why we call it the Shema. Because Shema literally means to hear. God screams this out. If you were reading in the Jewish, it would say, Shema. Shema. Hear what I'm fixing to say. Give me ear. Listen to what I'm telling you. This is important. I've told you how important because it's going to help you in your life with living where you're going to live, where you're fixing to have possession, where you're fixing to call your home. But understand, there's something more important than where you're going to live. There's something more important than the house or the land or the, all the other things that I'm fixing to put into your possession. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey say that, so that it may be well with you that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord our, is, the, is our God. The Lord is, this is where Jesus gets this from. Here's what he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. These are to be placed there. In fact, he goes, listen how, 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 how far God goes with this. He says, impress them on your children. As you're going through the day, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. What is he saying? He's saying, as you're walking along, talk about the goodness of God. Son, do you know why we have this grapevine right here? Why? It's because God brought us out of bondage and God brought us into this land and God gave us everything we have today. Son, you're sitting here at the table eating. Oh, let me tell you something. We didn't even make this table. You know how we ended up with this table? When we started coming across the Red Sea, people started flooding out of their houses and they left this house and they left this table and they left the chairs and God said, I gave it to you. Son, we didn't even make this furniture. God gave us this furniture. God gave us the roof over our head. He said, when you're walking through the day, as you're going through, you express the love that you have for God by sharing it with them. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you talk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, there ought not be a place in your life where you do not express love toward me. And that you do not understand that I loved you first. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers... 
to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you the land, large and flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you really are. Don't forget where you started. You've traveled a few miles and you got a few things and you got a few shiny toys. But you had better not forget where the shiny toys came from. You didn't produce it. You didn't make it. You can't make hair grow on your head. You can't promise the person beside you, I'll be here tomorrow. You can't do anything unless I have decided I want you to have it. The moment you forget this, the moment it slips from you, is the moment you are headed to where it's something that you don't want to be a part of. Let, let me explain it this way. To hear, to listen, to give ear. What he's trying to say to Israel at this point is this main context. That you have a personal God. Unlike any other religion. That's why the world can say, there's a bunch of ways to God. No. He is not an impersonable God that I'm trying to earn something from. He is a personable God who has said, this is what I love. And if you want to impress me or you want to be a part of me, you must do what I love. You cannot offer something that I do not love. Remember Cain and Abel in the beginning? It's the very first scene we see where Cain brings fruit and he brings stuff that he has and stuff that, that it's easy accessible. But God says, I won't accept none of this. Why? He said, because these things are things I have produced for my own self. These are things, you didn't make these fruits grow. I made the fruit. Who gave you the rain? Who got, all you did was pick what I already had. Where Abel, because he had to take care of and had to go extra to feed something and to take care of something that could not take care of itself, I accept it because that is a willing and acceptable sacrifice. Oh, so he's a personable God. Let me explain this very carefully. You cannot progress in your Christian life without understanding that. You can get into the Christian faith and stumble and bumble along. But you cannot progress in your Christian life until you understand that loving God is to be obedient and to obey and to follow. That's why this modern Christianity doesn't work. Because it only asks is that we just believe that God died. But it does not bring anything to the altar for sacrifice to God. I'm just thankful he still loves me. I've still got all this junk and I'm still wrapped up in all of this sin and I've still got all this. But thank goodness for grace. And that is the depth of the understanding. But their Christian life cannot progress any further. It cannot move. It is stuck in neutral. Celebrating Christmas or celebrating Easter and then wondering what does it mean in January and how does it help me in February? Because I, if I don't engage the way God says to engage, then it will not produce what it needs to produce. Bear with me. To love God Simply because of who he is. Not because of what he gives you. 
Not because of what he, because if it's just grace and then I walk away and I've just accepted grace, all I'm doing from then is measuring whether it's still worth following God. Some of you got up this morning, is it worth going to church? I do just as good staying home. Why? Because your relationship with God is not built on your love for just who God is. It's built on what God is doing or not doing. And your life as a Christian cannot move forward until you change the way you think. And until you understand that it is in the process of me willingly laying down my life and following and obeying and trusting that I learn the depth of the love that God has for me. To understand just simply that God is lovely. We used to say it in the old days, like, if God never does anything ever again for me, I'm still going to serve him. If God never blesses me, if God never answers another prayer, I'm still going to serve him. That's so different than where we are today. We come crying to God, and if God doesn't answer within 24 hours or through two days, we've already quit church and gone back into our lifestyle. Why? Because we don't grasp the understanding that we have to first love God simply because he's God. And God is lovely just the way he is. And God is beautiful just the way he is. And God is wonderful just the way he is. And I don't have to defend him. And I don't have to try to get other people to accept him. He just is who he is. And he's wonderful just the way he is. So when somebody says, why does God do this? I don't know why God does everything he does. I just know God is beautiful and lovely and wonderful. And whatever he's got planned, all things will work to good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I'm just going to hang on and hold on and love him more and trust him more until all the things are shown. This is the start of your journey. Now go back with me to Mark and let's pick up with Jesus again and let's read this again. So Jesus and this man, this man understands these scriptures and he's struggling with these scriptures because he has traded a love for God for a love for the things I do for God. Well, I've done this, and I do this, and I'm mad because, well, you're off track. Mark is this man trying to piece together all of his history with what he can't come to grips with to just love God for who he is. Well said, teacher. That's what this man says. Well said, teacher. The man replied, you are right. In saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbors as yourself more important than all burnt offerings and... He says, I understand it. I know what you're telling me is the truth. I have wrestled over this. And of all the things that that haunt me, that, that, that weigh on me heavier than anything else. Because you have to understand this man asked the question, what is the most important? Sins are in degrees. All sin is bad. But certain sins rise to 
and elevation, Paul lists some of these and says, if you do these things, like I've told you before, you have, you have stepped way over the line. It's not that, not that some little something, just some little something doesn't have weight. It just means that it doesn't carry the same amount of weight. And this man says to Jesus, what is the heaviest? He's not even talking when he asks the question. He's not even asking for Jews. What is the one biggest criteria God has put on the human race? What is for humanity the greatest commandment of all. For the Muslim, for the Buddhist, what is the highest weight? For the Christian, non-Christian, for the atheist, it doesn't matter. What is the highest criteria? And the problem is we struggle with it even if we say we don't believe in God. If I walk up to an atheist and I say, so you don't believe in God? No. So you don't believe anything matters. When you die, you just die. Good. Well, then I can shoot you. No, 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 no. No, no. We we need to treat each other. Oh, oh. To say we need to treat each other fairly means you have to have a reference point. You can't come up with an abstract law without a lawgiver. So you can't be an atheist if you say, I have to be good to you. Because as a lion, if I think you're food, I don't care if you're cute, cuddly. If I'm stronger, better than you, killing you just makes my life better. I can then move into your house, marry your wife, and you can just go on and be dirt. No, 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 that's not what we want. No, no, what you want is to sit on the throne you can't sit on. You want to dictate what is right, what is wrong, but it's already been given to you by the lawgiver. And the lawgiver, whether you believe in him or not, has already dictated that here is the highest law that there is, that you love me with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And until you do that one, you can't move to the second one, which is to love other people as yourself. Mm. So... In fact, 20 years before Jesus ever came, Rabbi Hillel, who was a teacher, Gamaliel and others, but Rabbi Hillel, who, who at that time was a teacher, 20 years before Jesus ever came on the scene, said it this way, do not do to your neighbor what you wouldn't want done to you. Do not do to your neighbor what you... He's speaking from the negative. He's not speaking from the positive. When Jesus says, love the Lord, he's speaking from the positive because God loves you and you need to love God. He's not speaking, the rabbi is speaking from the negative when he says, look, whatever you wouldn't want done to you, don't do it. I know what you'd like to do if you could get away with it. In fact, he said it this way, the essence of the law rests on this that we treat each other good and we try the problem is is that in our fallen state when we try we still fail so it cannot begin until we first love God and the rabbi Speaking to Jesus says, you have answered correctly. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, that this man had looked at him and said, teacher, you've answered correctly. It is the greatest commandment that we are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. 
and to love others as ourselves. To prefer others above ourselves. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Ain't it amazing? He's that close. He's got all the pieces. But the only thing he's missing is to choose to do it. You're this close. You know, and it's nothing I've preached this morning that is new theology to any of you. But what haunts me and weighs on me and burdens me is that just like you in this room, I will be honest with you, I have not loved God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, with all of my mind. What God has asked I have not done it. Of the things I look back on my life and the things that I wish I could change at anything, it would have been that I wouldn't have listened to that, that I would have spent more time with God here. If I wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have watched that, I wouldn't have, I would have spent more time with God here. And with all that we have now and all the access we have, it's even harder to find any room where we just give God time. And Jesus says, you are so close. You are right at the door. There's one more place I need to take you. Go with me to 1 John. So then, Pastor, what is the process? How does it work in us? Because all of us struggle with giving God all of our strength and all of our mind and all because we got, we got to work jobs and we got to do this and we got to do... Well, let's look at the answer. It's broken into three parts. And from ch- chapter 4 of 1 John beginning at verse 14, we're going to read from 14 to 17, and I'm going to give you the first one. Let's read. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in, we call this salvation, right? And so we know and rely on the the love of God has for us. This is the first step. This is the gift. You can write this down. Part one of the process is your gift. It is the gift of God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has given for us. God is, we always pull that out. We just kind of pull it out of context. God is love, as though it's the only thing that's written. No, it's not. It's written in the context of him explaining how love and the process of love operates in your life. He said it begins just like the children of Israel with you understanding that I have loved you. I have given you the gift. I have given you a gift of salvation. I have given you the gift of freedom. I have given you the gift of, your, of a sound mind. I have given you the gift of, of all that I have done to deliver you and set you free and given you the ability to be here today and to celebrate and the enemy cannot stop you. I have given you that. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in... Look at the person beside you and say, this is the gift of God. So we have this gift. Man, got no problem, Pastor. I like it so far. God... Gave his son, died for me. 
He come lives inside. He loves me. I love him. We're good. The test. Number two. Pick up with me at verse 17. This is how love is made. Oh, I thought I was in love. No, you just thought you were in love. See, when you came to Jesus, you just thought you was in love. You didn't know what love was. But God says, from the moment I shared my love and we became love partners, now I'm going to teach you love. I remember a man telling me many years ago when I was fixing to marry Elise and we were engaged and he came up to me and he said, boy, you love that girl. I said, I I love that girl. He said, you really love her. I said, "I, I know I love her. He said, boy, you don't know what love is. He said, I'll tell you when you know you love her. He said, one day she's going to come out of the bathroom. And she's not going to be the same size she used to be. And she's going to be wearing some moo-moo something with stuff all over her face. Rollers in her hair or just looking like something just whooped her with a stick. And he said, she's going to come out of that door and she's going to be coming toward the bed. And she ain't thinking about nothing but going to sleep. And he said, you're going to look over there and say, that is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. He said, that'll be the day you know what love is. Now, I hadn't made it all the way there. But the distance I have traveled on that road, I can guarantee you he was right. I didn't know what love was. Three children later, lifetime of serving and giving, just pouring out and reloading. No, I had no idea of the person I was connected to, the person that I was with. I had no concept. I just thought she looked good. She had all her teeth. She could play the piano. I look back and I think, what were you thinking? I don't know. But I know what I'm thinking now. And God says, here is the test to help you complete the love that you've begun. Here's what he says. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of what? Yeah. So the closer I get to God, the less I worry about death or I worry about trials or I worry about life or I worry about situations. The the more that I'm not in love with God, the more the things of this life stress me. This is your test. The test is how stressed, how sure, how confident are you? He says, perfect love, what it does, this is how love is made complete. Go go back to verse 18. Let's finish it out. And this is how love is made complete among us, that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like the same love, the same giftedness, the same thing that God poured on him, he says, I have through the Spirit poured on you. So you're not less than, you are, you are equal to in the fact that I've loved him and I also love you. So you can't say, well, it's easy for Jesus. He No, Jesus got tired like you do. Jesus had to fall asleep and wear out like you do. Jesus had to sleep in places where he didn't have pillows. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the Son of Man, I mean, he could have easily said, if God loved me, if my Father loved me, he'd at least give me a, 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 you know, some, a house on the Galilean Sea to kind of take my breaks and, and have a vacation every now and then. No, he says, my Father loves me, and I've done decided that he loves me, and it doesn't matter if I don't have this, and it doesn't matter if I don't have that. 
I have reached a point to where I am like Jesus in this world. Verse, there is no fear in If you are in this room today and you are afraid, afraid of the sin that you still struggle with, afraid of doubt that God is still operating and working and leading you in the right direction, whatever fear it might be, it's because you don't love God. Whoa, brother, a lot I do. No, no, no. Your love has not been made complete yet. That's why we call people who who give their lives in the military or die in, in battle. They made the ultimate sacrifice. Why? Because they didn't just train or think, but when the moment came, they willingly decided that for all of those that are back home, that will never, I have chosen to die on this battlefield if necessary for their safety. You say there's no fear. No, no, no. I didn't say anxiety. Or when those guys are running off in, on D-Day and running off those boats, I promise you those young men are terrified. Then why didn't they just stay on the boat? Because fear cannot be conquered by love. Love always conquers fear. That's why you can't look at your, your, your if, if you're some lady and you say, well, I love y'all, but I'm leaving. You're lying. I love y'all, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of me. You're lying. See, this is the test of love. Perfect love drives out the fear. Perfect love forces you to do what you must do even in the moments that you're afraid or in the moments that anxiety comes. It's... The fear that stops you is not present anymore. That's how you know it's been perfected. Is Jesus going to, get to, the, to the cross and saying, time to go die? No, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, God, Father, if it be possible, let this pass. But what is in his mind the whole time? Not my will, but your will. Is, is he dealing with anxiety? Is he dealing with stress? Yes, but perfect love drives out all fear. So if there's something you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing, then it's because fear is holding you. And if fear is holding you, it's because there's areas in which you do not love and trust God. And the only way to love and trust God in those areas is to obey Him anyhow. It is only in the obeying Him anyhow that you learn how much He loves you. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment or torment. I understand what he's saying here is this. If there's two roads, let's say both of these aisles, both of these aisles head us in a direction. This one is the wrong direction. This one is the one you need to take. I've already told you which one to take. But you decide, I'm going to take this one. As you are walking along that path, it dawns on you occasionally, I'm on the wrong road. Now, you may try to flood it with all types of other thoughts, and you may try to flood it with, with, with entertainment or whatever to keep from thinking about it, but every now and then, it keeps hitting you. This is the wrong road. This is the wrong road. And all the way, imagine if God says, 
This is the road to eternity. This is the road. It's my son. You must take this road. No, I'm going to take this road. What happens? All of a sudden, ever so often, it hits me that I'm on the wrong road. So why do you think I don't want to hear a Christian talk? Or I don't want to hear Jesus' name? Because every time it reminds me I'm on the wrong road. So when you say, hey, you ought to get back, I'll get tired of you telling me I need to be back at church. Do you understand what you're doing? You are, you are not being ugly to them. You are just reminding them. And that decision comes, that kind of fear that you tote every day of your life. This world totes a fear every day of its life that I'm going to have to meet God. No, no, there's no God. I don't believe in God. I, don't, I, I believe in aliens, but I don't believe in God. You can do whatever you want, but every now and then when you're sitting there and it's quiet or you start to get old or the doctor says you got cancer and you're fixing to go meet whoever's on the other side, it starts to bubble up. I'm on the wrong road. I'm headed the wrong way. That's when you see all these movie stars and all these people start to give their money away or you start seeing them find a preacher to get in church. Why? Because they finally realize after all of their life they are coming to grips with you are on the wrong road. And it has torment. It has punishment. It's a foretaste of what's coming and you can feel it. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Understand, God is not saying this because he's mad or he's upset with you. God is, go with verse 19. We love because he, see my love that, that when people say, Pastor, how do, you, how do you keep, how do you love so many people? How do you keep, understand, it's not my love my love is turned toward him his love then can come out of me and that's what God wants from you that's what God was telling them in their time in Deuteronomy he says I want you to love me Because you know I love you. And from that, you're going to tell your kids about it. And you're going to tell your neighbors about it. And you're going to, that's what he was wanting. Jesus is telling the scribe, he's saying, if you learn to love God, you won't get caught up in the little things, but the big things will overpower the fear that you have in your life. And so John finally wraps it up and says this. We love because he first loved us. Number three, the result. What's the result then, Brother Lot? The gift is God's love to us. The test is our love toward him. I describe it this way. Have you ever had a happy death? Have you ever had in your life a happy death? When I'm, the pastor that taught me this many years ago, and, and I've heard it several ways and reminded of it by one of my pastors a while back. He always asks this one question, and he starts every conversation with this. When he's talking to people who think they have a call on their life. Because many are called few chosen. He says, I always ask this one question. He says, tell me the moment, the day, tell me the the hour when you accepted the call. Hmm. Well, I've kind of known it all my life. No, 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 that don't work. Well, I just kind of feel like God's got this ministry. No, no, no. Mm -mm. Sit down. You ain't ready yet. Tell me the moment, the day, the because you'll know it. 
you won't forget the day you die. And until you die, you can't serve. You don't have a heart to serve. You don't have the capacity to serve. It's still part-time fun to you. It's still weekend warrior. You're not enlisted. Tell me the day when nothing else in this world mattered but that. And I'll tell you the day when you start seeing results. Because the test is can you push out the fear and walk in love? Because if you don't pass the test, then the results won't come out right. Why? Here's what it says. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brothers and sisters, is a... I love the ministry, brother, a lot. I just don't like people. I know. Sit down. You ain't ready yet, hot dog. Until it ain't about you, no more. Until you get up when you don't want to get up. When you look over at your family and say, got to go, somebody needs me. Yeah, but we're doing, y'all just have to do it without me. You don't understand, dead man walking. And the beautiful part about it is, you can't say nothing to that person. You can't hurt that person. You don't bother that person. That person's dead. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother is a liar. For whoever does not love his brothers and sisters whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He wasn't asking you a question. John was telling you the statement. And he has given us this command. Look at the person beside you and say, he's given us this command. Every one of you. Every one of us. Because on this earth, we are as Christ. We are walking representatives of Jesus. And we have to accept the fact or not whether God has loved us. And whether he does love us. You have to accept that one way or the other. You can walk out here and die. I just don't think God has any plans. Don't love me. Okay. Great. You're it you're right at the start. If you can get past that, then you'll have to be tested. The tests are everyday things in your life. Things that bump you. Things you don't like. Things that God does that you didn't think that's the way it should go. Can you still move in love or do you stop in fear? Think about how you do things. I think from the time we start dating, we have to wrestle with that. Isn't it so much easier to just ask somebody else, hey, go ask so-and-so whether she'd like to go out with me. Hey, you, you call the restaurant and, and book us something. From the earliest time, what you're doing is, is you're either releasing and living in your fear or you're learning to live in love. No, sooner or later you have to walk up and you have to say, hey, my name's Tim and I sure would like to go out with you. And she may say, you are ugly. I'm not going out with you. And you'll have to say, God don't think so, and move on. But the final test, and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters. 
We'll wrap it up by reading this one quote. See, voice say, says it this way. Our actual possession and exercise of love is our only key to the knowledge of the love of God. From this springs all true religion, all true worship of the Father in heaven, and all service acceptable to Him. So I read in our poor human hearts this sublime truth. Love is our highest bliss. Our best guide to duty, our strongest impulse to perform it, the most efficient cultivator of noble character, our surest defense in the face of temptation, and the highest revelation of God himself. And now I venture to affirm that our duty to God never goes and does conflict with our duty to each other. And why? It needs no argument. It is the very principle of religious morality that our duty to God consists mainly of our duty to each other. We can render to Him no service at all, but in and through the service of our brethren who are His children. Next year, I believe, will be the greatest harvest. But listen to me. It will be through God loving through you. Some of you have got to grow. And if you don't think it's you, it's probably you. Because you've got to reach a level of love, not toward God, but toward God and others that is combined so that there is no defense for anyone to be able to come against what you speak. Our greatest enemy that the enemy has set up is a world who hears people speak preach, TV, evangelists, and everything else, but have no genuine love for others. Those pictures that you saw right there is called service. And what is the catalyst for all seasons is our service, our love for one another, our care for someone else besides ourselves. This next year, I hope that you will decide to be part of what God is going to do. It's not a matter of if he's going to do it. It's just whether he's going to be a part. It's already happening. It's just whether or not you will allow God to use your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your heart, your mind to be of service. Well, I love God. Well, then you better start loving others. Because if you can't love others, you really can't love God. It is connected at the hip. You can't say, I love my family and not love your family. It's connected at the hip. I know this this message is like, where do you end this? You don't. Starting next week, the first week of January, I'm going to be blowing and going. I got so many projects and things, and I don't know how all of them's going to get done. I got churches that need floors because they need floors. I got friends that we're helping, and their ministry wants to grow, and we got to help them. It ain't so much money, it's just time and effort. And deciding that you're missing as the the human dead walk or whatever it is you watch, walking dead or whatever it is, 
It's not as valuable as the impact you can have with your life. I pray that you are so miserable sitting on your comfortable house couch and everything. I pray you're so miserable looking at your same old stuff. I pray you're so miserable that this message will rise up in you and you'll realize, I know what's wrong with me. I don't love God. Because if I did, I would be loving others. Will you stand? This is as heavy as I go. I'm preaching you the heaviest word there is in the word of God. The greatest commandment. The greatest sin. You can can kill a man and sleep with his wife. And still not mess up as bad as you can mess up this. Ask David. David made mistakes. But David was a man after God's own heart. We build all the wrong things up as sin. Big sin. If you were to ask God, what is the greatest sin I can do to you this next year, God? He would say that for you not to love me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. And to love whoever I put in front of you like you would love yourself. If you can't do that, you will break my heart this next year. Now, I do this every year. I have for over nearly 30 years. I love you at the expense of my comfort. But there are too many. It's too many. It takes more hands and more hearts and more fingers and more. And that part of me wishes we could go back and just have a hundred people again and I could be the one and y'all just show up and I'll take care of them. But I don't know all your friends. And I don't know all your family. Some of them I'll probably never meet. And I will pastor as many as I can, but we're reaching a point where our fingers reach outside my grasp. And that's okay. The only thing that I worry about is, will you love them the way I will love them? If they tell you their sin, will you remember it against them or will you love them like the Father and forgive them and say, it's though you never did anything. What will be your level of love? To the broken, to the hurting. Will you just tell them you're praying for them and walk away? Or will you give your life? Jesus asked his disciples that one day. He said, Look, the fields are white. Pray God the harvest. That he'll send laborers to the harvest. My prayer this year is that God will send laborers to his harvest. I'll make it as much about you as I can, I promise. We'll have fun things and activities and I promise you'll eat a hamburger before this year's over with me. But we're too far down the road. And too blessed for it to be about us anymore. God has taken care of us. But he didn't do it for your comfort. He did it for your service. Father, 
I fall so short with all my mind and heart and soul and strength. I try each day to to pour into my life and my mind and to spend time and forgive me where I fall short. Where I watch useless stuff or just waste too much time that could be useful. Lord, I don't know what all is going on in this world. Only you understand it all, but I know it's not good right now. But that also means there's an open door if we're willing to walk through it. There's no place I would rather be than with these people in Forest, Mississippi. They are the greatest people I've ever met. But the year of harvest also means there has to be those who pick a harvest. Harvest doesn't just get to the barn and it doesn't just get separated the wheat and the shaft. It requires the effort. Let our love for you and your love for us override the fear, the doubt, And allow it to propel us to love others until your kingdom is full. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go give that old devil fits.